0: So we're going to be continuing our series in John, um, John chapter 15. Um, If you're familiar with your Bibles, this is probably a passage that you've known, um, the idea of abiding in Christ. And this passage means a lot to me. Um, I don't know if it's always fair to say that because, I mean, every passage should mean a lot to us in some ways, but... This idea of abiding in Christ has been something that has really changed me. Um, It's one of those gifts of being in Christ that, I'll be honest, I feel like an absolute rookie in. Um, This life marked by constant communion with my Father in heaven, through Christ, and by the Holy Spirit in some supernatural way caught up in the very triune relationship with God himself, Um, being in Christ. Oftentimes it feels way too much uh, for me to even be able to handle or understand. But I love this idea that I have made the idea of abiding in Christ somewhat of a personal pursuit um, for my life. I want to read books about it. I want to talk to people about it. I want to understand it and the thrust of the teaching of our Bibles comes on abiding, comes from John 15. I want to abide in Christ. I want to enjoy my abiding. Um, another reason that this means so much to me, at this, according to Spotify, on August 22nd, 2017, this was the first campus collective sermon that I ever preached, so going on almost six years ago, was on this passage. And so apparently, even back in 2017, there was something about when I'm starting this new role or coming in of what I want my ministry to be marked by landed on John 15, abiding. This idea of getting to be close with Christ has empowered me greatly, and I'm hoping will continue to become somewhat of a holy obsession in my life. Um, I want to be deeper with Christ than I am right now. I wanna love him more, I wanna know him more, I want for him to shine through my life. And as I've been preparing and working in this passage leading up to this week, this is what I've been praying and what I want for us as a church. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, this is what you want to. You want to know him more. You don't want to be content with the knowledge of his love that you have right now. You want to go deeper, not just in, I know more things about it, but experientially, Know and be confirmed over and over again that you belong to Christ. Um, So, before we get started, I uh, there's something that should always be true of a preacher when he comes to any passage, and that there's some sense of humility that none of us ever live up to what we're about to preach. You know, we're about to exhort people that I love, people that I've missed, been sick for a week, uh, and I'll be honest, though. uh, This has been a bad week for me with abiding. Um, We're fine physically, but spiritually, I feel like this has been off-center for me. And so I'm thankful for grace, thankful for John 15 that's been a anchor for me even in and through this, but I just want you to know, I didn't put on a Superman cape when I came up here this morning and just gonna say, look at me, I've been walking closely with Jesus all week. Um, I felt distant. And that's a hard place to be, especially when you gotta come preach. And so I'm thankful that we're a family in here and we can say things like that. But I also just want to say that if that's you, um, his grace is for you too. And so we get to come to this in humility and repentance, knowing that by his grace, he can draw us close. And that's what we're after. And so the title of this sermon is Bear Much Fruit. I chose this as a title because it should be our desire as followers of Christ and is the result of abiding with Jesus. We want to bear fruit in our lives. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or Christianity in general, that is sort of a Christianese phrase, right? Like, bear fruit. Like, what are we, what are we talking about there? Um, but it really is a beautiful concept that Jesus unpacks for us, um, really the whole Bible does for us, as a desire of every follower of Christ, We want to have roots in Christ and have so much of his life changing us in our inner man that we bloom, that it overflows with rich, beautiful fruit for people to see in us and be blessed by us as we glorify our Father in our lives with Christ. We should want this. And so the hard part is, is I can't motivate us into that. I can't get up here and try to inspire us to it, The only thing that can happen is abiding in Christ, and that only happens by the power of his Holy Spirit in his word. And so the plan for today, for us as a church, is to step way back and just let us soak in John 15 together. Really just to abide in Jesus' love for us this morning, to experience and know our love for each other, and to let this be another reminder, another exhortation to remain in Christ all by his grace and for his glory. Um, It is a mark of spiritual maturity that simple truth stated plainly can have deep impact in your soul. I think it's a trick of the enemy to let us cliche things that we know to be true out of their ability to change us. And that's what we're after. Um, If you know my ministry or have heard me ever talk, you know that I love um, a pastor named Ray Ortland, who I affectionately call Papa Ray. He does not know this. I have emailed him once, um, and in fact, I may have told him I call him that. Uh, I have to go back and look. That's embarrassing if I did. But in a podcast recently, he talked about something, that a ministry leader in a pastor's job is not primarily to go around just pointing out all of the unhealthiness that we see in everybody, but to lift up Christ. Lift him up. Because if you see a clear picture of him, the Holy Spirit is gonna do a work in you and you're gonna see him as beautiful and you're not gonna be able to help but want to get closer to him. And I know that rebuke and challenge are necessary weapons in our fight for faith together as a church, but I do believe the Holy Spirit, our Father, through Christ, can do pruning work in us as we stare at his Son together. So I want us to see Jesus. And I'm gonna pray toward that end and then we're going to read the whole uh, passage, and we'll walk through it a verse at a time. So uh, let's pray together. Um, Father, you are, you are good. Um, Father, we do not want this to be a routine gathering for us. We don't want to mindlessly sing songs and small talk and miss that you are speaking that you revealed Jesus to us. We do not deserve that. Father, thank you for making us yours. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to abide deeply with him today. That's what we want. And so give us your spirit and grace and power and wisdom to live that out as a church and as people in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. John 15: 1 through17. Hopefully you have your Bibles out. If you don't have a Bible, it should be up on the screen for us. Remember, this is a continuing of the discourse that Jesus has been teaching us the last couple of weeks. He says this: "I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit." And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And if you abide in me, and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love." These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. My goodness, so much here. Just a quick reminder of context. This is the last week of Jesus' life, as Adam has been reminding us in this series, and we are getting some of what is the most intimate teaching to his disciples before he goes and does the work for which he came to do. He came to preach. He was the true and better prophet. He came to be king of kings. We know this, but ultimately, he was dead set on the cross, And so all of these truths, all of these realities for us are in light of what his great work that he is on his way to do. He has already triumphantly entered Jerusalem saying the true king is here. He has taught them that he must die and rise again. If you remember in John 13, he washed their feet. This amazing picture of the king of kings humbling himself to wash the feet of his own. Judas has left to betray him He has told Peter that he would deny him three times. He has said the Holy Spirit would come. He has said that we would do greater works than him. Remember that? This amazing truth somehow by the Holy Spirit, we are gonna take his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And he has said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. This section of John's gospel is so rich and weighty, and these are ultimate realities for us. And so it is worth our time to slow down and see all of this and soak it in together. So verse one, just the first verse. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So in this we get another identity metaphor statement from Jesus, right? Jesus is not saying that he is literally a vine. There's context here. He's saying that he is the true vine. And he didn't pick that word picture out of nowhere. This vine imagery is actually anchored in Old Testament imagery as well. And so I want to show you a few of these. You don't have to turn there. But in Isaiah chapter 5, what we see is the Lord's love for what he calls his vineyard. And what he expects for his people, his vineyard, is that they would bring back grapes or fruit, good fruit. But instead, what we see over and over again, if you're familiar with your Bibles, we know that God's people in the Old Covenant continually brought back what Isaiah 5 calls wild grapes or bad fruit. And so what we see in Isaiah 5 in his vision of for God's people as a vine in a vineyard is that they are not what they're supposed to be in him, and they are not showing the fruit that they're supposed to to a watching world. So that's one piece. There's some of that going on. So Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Old Testament, people who know the Old Testament would have been thinking, okay, there's something bigger going on here that Jesus is saying about himself. Um, in my study of this, another author brought up that Psalm 80 actually has this idea as well. We're not going to read the whole Psalm, but the same idea is shown here. It says that a vine was plucked out of Egypt and planted to bear fruit plucked out of Egypt, Old Testament people, right? Planted to bear fruit for the glory of God. And instead, they don't produce either. But there's hope. Um, it should be on the screen. But Psalm 80, verse 17 through 18, after saying these, so the vine has been plucked and planted to bear fruit, it says this. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man who you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you Give us life and we will call upon your name. And so even in this, what we see, and we should know this as we read our gospels, Jesus loves to call himself the son of man. And so hopefully what we're seeing in this new vine imagery from Jesus in John 15 is that he is showing us that he is the true and better people of God, saying all of the redemptive purposes of the old covenant are coming to fruition in here and it has something to do with being planted And bearing fruit. And Jesus is saying, I'm not another vine, I am the true vine. So, where Israel failed, he will not. The true vine is here. And this is good news. This means that God's glory will be displayed in humanity because God himself became man. It's amazing. God calling his people, I'm plucking you out, vine. Go bear fruit. All it is is wild grapes. All they do is fail, all leading us to the true and better vine that is now here. God's glory will be displayed in humanity. So he says, I'm the true vine. And then the next phrase there, what we see is some more triune glory, that our God is one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we see in this vine is a function of what is happening in the Trinity. Look at the next phrase. And my Father is the vine dresser. God the Father is working with Jesus through their plan of redemption to bring forth a beautiful harvest of fruit for his glory. God will be glorified in humanity. And in verse 2, after these big, huge identity things are established and anchored in the Old Testament, verse 2 shows us a function of this vine dresser in the life of his vineyard, in the life of his people. So let's look at verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So a few key observations here. Um, One, you should know, this will become clear in verse five, but we are branches, all right? All right. We are not vines, we are branches in this glory metaphor that Jesus is showing us. And clearly, from verse 2 already, we should see an expectation of us, an exhortation for us of our desire as the people of God is that we should be bearing fruit. You see that? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that is bearing fruit, he's going to prune so that it even bears more fruit. So when we don't bear fruit, when branches don't bear fruit, it's taken away. When branches bear fruit, they're pruned, so they might bring more glory to God in their lives. Now, we're going to lay out more of these ideas in the coming verses, but I want to give you some foundation now before we address some unsettling realities here. Um, maybe you're already thinking, okay, if we're a branch and it says if we don't bear fruit, he's going to take us away. I mean, there's some, there's some unsettledness here that we need to address. So, some foundations In our life in Christ, fruit is the evidence that we love God. It's the evidence of it, that internally our character is becoming more Christ-like outwardly as we love and serve others as an overflow of our love for Jesus. And they both must be present. It's not a begrudging, uh, actually all about you, fake humility serving. It is, I love Jesus so much, I want to decrease so much, so that it has to come out in the way that I live in my life. So in our life in Christ fruit is the evidence that we love God. So with that established let's consider what some scholars commentaries have thought that verse 2 means. Here's some interpretations for us. Some would say this that Jesus is teaching that people branches can lose their salvation because they are clearly in him. You see that Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So because they didn't bear fruit, the Father takes them out. That is one interpretation. Another one is some would say that the idea behind take away can actually be translated as lift up. And so this would mean that the Father lifts up an unfruitful Christian, because they're in Christ, just like a vine dresser. Now, I've never dressed a vine, okay? But... I'm assuming this is what they do to lift up a branch to help it get in a more healthy state so that it might bear fruit. So they're saying, it's not saying they can lose their salvation. What it's saying is they are lifted up so that they can bear fruit. And then others would say, we can't ignore this, that there is a way in which someone can look like they are in Christ, but when they prove they aren't by their lack of fruit, the Father takes them out to preserve the purity of his vineyard and his people. Those are some interpretations. So here's what we can definitely take away from this function in John 15 too. Please understand this and hear me very clearly. If you are in Christ, you are eternally secure in Christ. That means when we have clear texts about the fact that God does not lose any of his own, we read these other verses in light of that to see what their meaning is for us. Philippians 1.6, he is going to finish the good work that he started in us. You need to understand, our union with Christ cannot be touched. I mean, we've already read this in the series with John, right? You remember John 10.28? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. Not to mention the very next verse in our passage in John 15. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. If you are in Christ, you have believed on Jesus, you are clean. If you truly belong to him, you are clean. That's one thing. We have to throw out that first interpretation. It's not that people can lose their salvation. But here's another truth that we can definitely take from verse two. This is beautiful. If you truly belong to Christ, he will not let you remain unfruitful. Isn't this beautiful? He'll do the work in you. He will work and lift and convict and prune you to keep you fruitful and glorifying to his Father because he is the one working in you, not your own doing. When you're in the vine, you are in the vine. At the same time, we have to understand the reality of this. There is a type of person who can look like they are in Christ and not really belong to him. And that person has never truly repented and believed in the gospel as evidenced by no fruit in their life. And I'm not talking about a bad week or looking at your life and thinking, my fruit's not as good as other people. I'm talking about no fruit, no love for God, no desire to desire to love God. And we've already seen this in the narrative, right? Remember Judas and Peter? I mean, both looked in him, right? They were around the vine. Peter will go on to eventually deny Jesus. We know this. It's coming up in our In our book, Judas will betray him, and one was truly in him. And who was the one that was truly in him? The one who remained with Jesus. You have to see this. There's Judas branches and there's Peter branches. You are not defined by your biggest mistakes. You're not defined by your most unfruitful seasons. But you have to understand, God will stop at nothing to make you glorifying to himself. Because he put Christ in you, and you in Christ. I don't want you to miss, because of the maybe commentary discrepancies, the beauty of what God is doing in us. As we bear more fruit in our lives, as we seek to imperfectly, humbly use our lives to love and serve others, as we seek to pursue Jesus more, we are going to be pruned through trials, and sanctification and conviction, so that we might bring more and more glory to God. This is beautiful. It's a glorious thing that our Father, the vine dresser, is going to do for us. That every hard edge in our life is not Him punishing you, it is Him pruning you so that you might bring more glory to Him. Verse three. We've already gone over this a little bit, but now we need to unpack it more. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You imagine the relief, gospel relief that this would have been, right? Like, if a branch of me doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, produce fruit, I'm taking away. Listen, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. This is a reminder for all of us disciples of Jesus here this morning that we are Clean. It's clear that the word, that idea of the word I have spoken to you in this verse would include the totality of Jesus' message to his people. All of who he is, all that he's taught us about him being the satisfying living water, the satisfying bread, all that he will do at the cross and resurrection, because of that word spoken to us, received by faith, we are already clean. Even as we are pruned and sharpened and convicted and exposed believing and receiving this in christ is what makes us clean and our union with him in that now is how we are secure in the tough work of being pruned for more fruit like please don't miss that guys like we we are all saying that we want to bear more fruit for jesus right we want that we want God to be glorified in our life the necessary work is going to be pruning the pruning is going to be hard It is going to be exposing. It could look like trial. It could look like inward conviction. It could look like a plethora of things that our good father does in our lives. But in all of that, the gospel reality is that you are clean already. Even as getting closer to Jesus and abiding with him exposes more things that need pruned and cleaned. Do you understand this? The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're gonna realize how much you're not like him. And that's a good thing. If you got closer to Jesus and thought, man, I am really measuring up well, <laughs> there is something wrong. I think so often we see, we become, we we adopt the victim mentality of our own sin that we think whenever I sin, it's because my sin did this to me. But instead, for believers, when you're in Christ, he's exposing and showing you something. It's a cause for celebration. Thank you, God, for showing me where I'm falling short again. And by your grace, I will repent and be pruned and continue to bring more fruit for your glory, Father. Do you realize what a difference that is in your life? If every time you blow it, and you will, I did this week. But at the bottom of that is not, look how dirty you are, branch. It's already, you are clean. And I'm pruning. And it's gonna hurt, but you're mine. And because you're mine, I'm going to prune you to make you bear more fruit. It's a beautiful thing. Not saying that we sin on purpose to get pruned. But as you walk by the Holy Spirit, part of his job is to convict and show you that you're not like Jesus. You love him. you got a long way to go. And that's a good thing. Remember that Jesus used this idea when he washed the disciples' feet? Don't you love Peter, right? Love Peter's example for us. Of, you know, he's like, well, you're not gonna wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't, then you gotta, you know, you don't have any part of me. And he's like, okay, my whole body then. And he's like, well, no, like, I need to wash your feet. This idea of they are clean already in him, but through his mercy service to us, as we become more like him, we are continually washed by the realizing of our already forgiveness in Christ. If you get this wrong in your soul, you will be in despair in your walk with Christ already you are clean. All right, let's go deep now. Verse four. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. What we're getting at here is, is, uh, this is the beauty of this passage is actually one of the most glorious doctrines in the entire Bible. Be summed up like this. Our union with Christ. Union in Christ. It's unbelievable. There's thousands upon thousands of pages of dead people and alive people alike that have spilled a lot of ink to expound upon this idea that somehow the whole of our salvation is not just that you are distantly forgiven, but that God himself takes residence in us. We are in Christ. Now, I actually recently just finished a book called Union with Christ um, that opened my eyes to a lot more of the beauty of this idea. And so I'm not gonna be directly quoting this a lot, but you should know that these are thoughts that I'm learning and relearning even right now in my own personal study. There's so much depth here that we are in Christ. So, have you ever noticed in your reading of the New Testament just how often the idea of just in Christ is used? It's said all the time. It's all over it. Every time Paul is saying that, or other um, New Testament writers, he is reminding you, believers, that you are in him Our union with Christ is the central idea of our salvation. When you repent and believe in Christ, you were joined to him. In some amazing way, you died with him. My goodness, that is why we can actually say that we're clean. You realize that? When you repent and believe, you died with Jesus. You were raised with him. And even now, Ephesians 1 would say, we are with him in the heavenlies. We're in Christ this really does change everything. And, and one of the concepts that I've learned about this is perfectly exemplified in this text. I love this. He says, abide in me, or in other words, we are in Christ. And then he says, and I in you, or in other words, Christ in us. So it's not just that Christ is in us. We are also, um, we are also in him. Now, We need to go ahead and put a definition on the idea of abiding, right? Because that's one of the deepest realities in the universe. And so I've read and looked at a bunch of resources, and I'm not so sure if we can even get close in our human language, but here's the idea. Abiding. And this definition is not going to be an easy one to write down, okay? So I'm just going to read it all, and then we can talk about it later. It is remaining close to Christ in personal relationship that is characterized by repentance and belief and trust and dependence As we seek to obey him in all things, loving him and loving others. It's remaining close. It's a posture of the heart where we're spending our entire waking moments and our sleeping moments in light of his presence and praying in his spirit so that we might walk with him closely. Now, admittedly, these are spiritual concepts, but you need to understand this is the push of the Bible, God with and in us. We seek to know him deeper so that we might bear fruit. And so as we abide, we are experiencing the glories of him in us and us in him. Us in Christ is the protection, the stability, and the security that we have in our love relationship with him. Already you are clean. But Christ in us is the engine, the power, the push toward holiness that Christ does in us by his spirit as he changes us to be more like him and bring his father more glory. Don't you love that? We're in him, protected. Nothing can touch our love relationship with God, but also he is in us, which means that's the push toward, I want to change. I want to bring more glory to God. And it's only through that pursuit of him, in light of his pursuit of us, that we're able to bear fruit. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is not a push to become more productive or an excuse for spiritual passivity. This is a call to abide in Christ. Verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here we get the direct identities again. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and just like branches need to be attached to the vine to bear fruit, we need to be attached to Jesus by faith in order to bear fruit fruit. Um, So let's talk about fruit again. Um, The idea of bearing fruit is all over the New Testament, as hopefully we've already made clear. And we've discussed the idea of internal fruit of holiness and Christ-like character. Um, Perhaps the most famous passage of this is uh, fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so these Amazing realities are growing in us as we stay close to Jesus, but we can't get this backwards because I I've, I've read this somewhere in a commentary. I think it was um, on actual Galatians that it's easy sometimes to confuse the inward fruit of the Spirit as personality traits. All right, like we're not talking about. We talk about Spirit-led joy. We're not talking about a peppy attitude. All right, what we're talking about is a relationship with Jesus. because this is where I would I would be able to crush this? Right. Most people see me and they think he kind of acts like a golden retriever, right? Like I know this about myself, but, but that is not always spirit wrought joy because I can fake that because it's easy for my personality. The call is to get close to Jesus. So this comes out of us increasingly, but a person who is being formed internally in these ways will show it off in external ways. Look at Philippians 1.9. It should be on the screen. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is what we want. We want lives that are marked by these realities and the fruit of righteousness. And as we abide in him, and get closer to him, a life marked by repentance and belief and grace and demand and dying and rising, this is how we become more like Jesus, both internally and externally. We don't separate those. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of spiritual significance can be done apart from this work of grace and his continual growing in us. And this should be comforting to you because you are not on a personal reformation project. It's not up to you to figure out all the ways that you need to change and come up with your five steps and go get a self-help book to figure this out. Our call is to lean into Jesus, and his love changes us. He loves us into his love more and more as we obey him. Verse six keeps getting better. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, this is a scary reality, but it's important for us to understand. Note this. Abiding in Christ is not an option for the follower of Jesus. We're not talking about an additional super spiritual experience of him for the super Christians. Not abiding means that you aren't really in him. Do you see that? Verse 6 is a clear picture of eternal judgment. But an important concept for you as you wrestle through this in your own soul is to understand that your union with Christ cannot be touched, but your communion with Christ waxes and wanes. You understand this. Um, Just like like I'm married to Courtney, you guys know this, and we can't get any more married than we were in 2016. We can't. We're as married as we're ever going to be. But our relationship, depending on communication and how we're responding to each other, does wax and wane. You guys, you guys understand this? And so our union isn't touched, but our communion does wax and wane. And so whenever I say things like abiding in Christ is not an option for the follower of, uh, follower of Jesus, don't let that become a terrifying thing for you where you're thinking, oh man, I haven't had this you know, deep love experience in a long time. Therefore, Jesus must not really love me. It's not what this is for is a clear picture of the eternal final judgment. The call is to come and believe and abide in Jesus. But rejecting his love in favor of loving yourself is met by just judgment. We must remain in Christ and continue in his love. This is a prime example of Judas. He didn't abide and he did not remain. And also, it's a great moment for any of you right now, in this room, outside of the vine, to consider his love for you this morning. The call's for you. It's not figure it out, grow some fruit, and then you're in. It's come accept his love. Repent and believe. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so we see this idea of abiding in a depth of relationship applied to prayer. Abide in Jesus and his words abiding in us means we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done. Now, we should know, we should be theologically accurate enough to know, this isn't talking about asking for whatever sinful and selfish thing we might want. The key here is the idea of his words abiding in us. We should be so filled up and steeped in the word of God. And as we do that, we are changed. Not just our thoughts, but our wishes and our desires. And as those are changed, we ask of our Father, and he promises it will be done. If we really love Jesus, we will want what he wants. We should want fruit in us and fruit that brings him glory in the world. And he is saying that we can ask for that with a promise from him that he will do it. And some of us, this is the application. We need to stop and just ask him for eyes to see his pruning work. Ask him to open your eyes to see more of his beauty. Ask him for a, a, a brighter experience of his love for you. Ask him to overwhelm you with the gospel. Ask him for more fruit. Ask him to help you live out what you already are in Christ. He promises that he'll do it. Verse eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's what we should all want. We should want to glorify our Father. And the way that we do that is through bearing fruit, and that fruit bearing is the proof of our own discipleship. But please understand, we don't fruit our way into salvation. The salvation we have is shown off and proved by our fruit. I love in this passage, over and over again, Jesus goes back and forth of this dance of bear fruit, but know my love. Bear fruit, but know my love. And that is the rhythm of a walk with Christ. We don't raise our voices on the demand idea or raise our voices on the grace idea, we lift them both up because that is the call of following Jesus. That's the rhythm of abiding. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Man, don't miss the gravity of that verse. Look at the logic. In the same way that Jesus' Father loves him, this is how he has loved his own. And then we're told to remain in that love. How could we not want to do that? (laughs) We only love him because he first loved us. We know that from 1 John. And so the glory of Jesus is shown in that his demands of us are full of grace and love. You are commanded to abide in his love. And it is the love of all loves. (laughs) I simply don't possess the ability to explain this in its proper way. I've just been begging God in my own life and for us as a church that we might see that's how much you are loved. As the Father has loved Jesus, so he has loved you. Believing that can change everything for you. Then he shows us more of what it means to abide in that love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so hopefully as a church, and I know this is true, we've been gospeled enough to see that this is not a call to obey our way into salvation, but it is a call to loving obedience of Jesus' commands. He is attaching our love to him to our obedience to him. So you have to ask, are there places in your life right now where you're disobeying Jesus and you don't care? This should wake you up. He's saying, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. That's what it looks like. (laughs) This is why we can't ignore the demand part of our union with Christ. But the beauty of keeping Jesus' commands is that part of these commands are repenting and receiving forgiveness. is amazing? He's saying, this is how you show me that you love me. Repent and believe. So with the idea of getting commanded to repent is inherent that you will not always measure up. It's beautiful. It's a loving relationship that cannot be explained but it's ours in Christ. His commands are inviting you into the best way of life possible. This is the abundant life that Jesus purchased for you. Before his work of grace, you couldn't obey God. You could do moral things, but you couldn't lovingly see the joy of obedience to God. And obedience to Jesus is how we abide in his love. Look at verse 11. And then he attaches this idea of love to an even greater thing, not even greater, an equally as great thing, joy. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy, his joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He is giving us these commands and these realities so that the very joy of Jesus might be in us. And that joy fills us up. Abiding obedience is not begrudging slavery. It is a changed heart that can't wait to bear fruit for our Father. And in that is the very heart of resurrection joy in us. That's how we get to live. Part of abiding is to join in his joy. Man, and then verse 12. This is so beautiful. Okay, 1104, we're good. And this has a a relational beauty element too as well. Look at this. And this is my commandment. The one that I'm talking about that leads you into more joy and more of my love, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at this, the key to abiding love and remaining close to Jesus through our obedience to him has radical ramifications for our relationships. We get to show off this level of joy and love in the way that we are as a church. Man, we should sit here in a while, but I want us to see the weight and beauty that Jesus puts on this. He's saying, love one another as I have loved you. So look at verse 13, you probably know this verse. It's a good Coffee mug verse. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. He's showing us the glory of the cross already, and it's what we are called into as well. The greatest act of love is laying your life down. And so we look at all these people, our church family, guests, friends, and we're thinking, how can I die so that they might live? That's the call. And it only leads to more joy. But so much of our self-protection and our distance and our nervousness makes us not want to lean into that. But if you've ever been there, you know there is joy to be found in dying to yourself so that others might live. Can you imagine if our church got so enthralled by this love, the very love the Father has for Jesus, that he has for us, that we get to overflow into for each other, that we just can't wait to die for each other. That's what an abiding church looks like. It's unbelievable. I hope you want that. I mean, we don't need a nice basement to do this, but I'm so excited to go die down there. We get to do that for each other. Literally, and as we do that, enjoying and seeing the beauty of Jesus' joy and love himself. And then verse 14 and 15 can take our breath away. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a friend of God. He has shown us by his Spirit in his word what he is doing. He's not. saying, no, no, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. And there's a very real way in which we are still joyful servants to Jesus. Not the point here. He's showing that he is pulling us into his heart. He's your friend. Jesus is not just like putting up with you, he's not just part of his job description. He loves you, he's your friend. And he's creating a people that are so wrapped up in his love that they bear fruit in this world, bringing his father glory. And if we are his friends, which we are by faith, then we know that we are the ones that Jesus laid his life down for. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Here's another summary verse for literally all of this. We're reminded that we don't even choose him. He chose us and appointed us to go out and bear remaining and abiding fruit. And as we do that, in this pursuit of him to show off his fruit for his glory in the world, we continue to pray and ask our father and he gives to us generously. We see our mission and our power in verse 16. And then verse 17, he caps it with our unity again. These things I command you, the things that I just talked about, so that you will love one another. And so we conclude this section with another reminder that what this looks like on the ground level is Jesus-like love for each other. (laughs) If it seems like all I did this morning was read a verse, say exactly what it said, and then sit back in awe, then your perceptions are right. I'm in all of this. Uh, The realities of our relationship with Jesus are things that I think we'll spend forever enjoying and understanding And of course, there are many practical things that need to be discussed in our abiding. The importance of scripture memory and prayer and um, biblical meditation and community and the word, all of these are fuels and weapons in our abiding. But even with those, none of it matters if you don't have love for Jesus. And to see Jesus with the eyes of faith is to love him. And so what I wanna do before we land with the Lord's Supper, I wanna pull together some big themes from this passage try to cram it all together into a gospel portrait for us of Jesus. So the big themes, what we've seen, abide, obey, loving him and each other, fruit being pruned and bearing, and our mission. Do you realize that we can only love and abide in Jesus because he has loved us first? He put you in the vine. When you trusted and believed the gospel, you were put in and our obedience is only an overflow of the grace of his obedience on our behalf. And now we get to obey him. We get to obey him for our joy and his joy, for our peace and his peace and for his glory alone. And the result of that is a life full of love. We get closer to him as we love him, and his love makes us, as a church get closer. We breathe in grace that not only saves us, but it changes us into Christ-likeness. And this is what bears fruit. We change inwardly, we display outwardly. And all the while, we trust him to prune us in painful and glorious ways so that we might bring him more glory, which is what brings us the most joy and the most of his love. And as a church on mission, this is our great quest in life. <laughs> to abide with Jesus as he abides in us, And as we do that, we bear the gospel fruit as we love people enough to tell them of a man who lays his life down for others, and they're invited into that love through abiding faith. Before we sing this morning, um, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we get to not only sing the gospel, hear the gospel, we get to see it in the Lord's Supper. So, um, deacons, if you can go ahead and uh, get ready the elements for us. Um, The Lord's Supper is an incredible gift to the church. Um, Jesus taught us that we do this um, as when we gather so that we might remember his death and his resurrection. And so the way we do that here, um, we call it open communion, open Lord's Supper. What that means is that you don't have to be a member of this church to do it, um, but you do have to be in the vine. Um, This is a gift for believers to know and understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that was given to us, and we receive it by faith. And so, if you're not a believer, this is foreign to you, um, this is an amazing time for you to sit back and consider um, his sacrifice, his love for you, his joyful, glory-filled love that he displayed on the cross and the resurrection so that you might have life in him. Um, and then for all of us, as we take our time to make sure um, it's a great time to resolve to abide with Christ right now, like we're already in him, but let's commune with, commune with him now. Um, two times, Jesus reminds us as a church that what this looks like is loving one another. And I love the Lord's Supper as a reminder for us that it, we, don't, we take this wrongly if we are not unified in loving each other. And so if you need to do that... Um, It doesn't matter how awkward. If you need to go unify with someone, go make that happen, Um, because we want to bring glory to God in the way that we celebrate this. And so um, we're going to play some music um, as you want. Uh, Come up and get the elements, and then um, our worship team will lead us in singing um, once, once we finish.